0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I If you're fascinated by the darker sides of humanity, join us every week on our podcast, Serial Killers
1: And this is the Something Scary Podcast. Happy New Year to everyone. Hope 2022 is off to a good start and that you're feeling healthy and energized. We're so grateful for all of you who tune in every week to listen and hear something scary. On New Year's Eve, many people stay up until midnight to ring in the new year. But at night, when the moon comes out, so do the ghosts, evildoers, and demons. In the cover of darkness, they're free to go about tormenting whomever they want. So while some might have been out celebrating, for others it brought midnight murders. First, warnings from the lighthouse, followed by murderous jealousy. Then, a house full of horrors. Finally, in our featured story, The Desire to Kill. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with a story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com slash snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror, and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories visit patreon.com slash snarled. So, want to hear something scary? Midnight Murders There are many dangers that lurk out at sea, but you never expect them to visit the shores, like in this urban legend inspired by Taylor. It was a dark and stormy night when a mysterious ship Into the Yaquina Bay in Lincoln County, Oregon. The captain came ashore with his sickly teenage daughter, Zina. Claiming she did not travel well in such weather, he took her to the nearest inn, paid for the next few nights, and said he would return to collect her. There was no one around to notice when the ship vanished into thin air. During the next couple of days, The young lady explored the beaches on the bay and came across a group of high schoolers. They encouraged her to join their group, building bonfires and telling stories. It was Zina who mentioned the abandoned lighthouse at the mouth of the bay and how it might be exciting to explore. Isn't it haunted, though? asked Heather cautiously. I heard some people went missing when our folks were in school, added Raj. "'Hell yeah,' replied one of the guys, Damon. "'Let's go!' The teens all jumped up, high in spirit and ready for adventure. None of them actually believed the stories. They were likely just rumors, legends created by worried adults to keep youngsters away in case of an accident. Approaching the derelict building, with its peeling paintwork and warped wooden steps, they didn't even notice the gloomy fog that had descended." The mist hiding the night sky. Once inside, the teens moved from room to room with flashlights, spooking each other by pretending to see shadows and making each other jump. It was dusty and damp and completely empty. Just a few discarded beer bottles and old magazines left in the middle of the floor showed that anyone had actually been inside for years. Damon was getting bored. He at least wanted it to be the cause of one good jump scare. He found an old linen closet built into the wall and opened it up. He covered his nose, assaulted by a foul smell. He then noticed the wooden paneling at the back seemed loose and, sure enough, he was able to remove a large piece. Behind it seemed to be a secret room, shrouded in darkness and likely the cause of the stench. The building itself was cold, but this room was like a freezer. Hey, everyone, he called, and the others rushed in, eager to finally see something of interest. Xena stared at the secret space in awe, and was about to step towards it when one of the others gave a shriek, having seen a rat. Rodents combined with the funky smell emanating from the closet was enough, and they decided to leave the lighthouse. It was very dark now, too, despite their flashlights, and they didn't want to snag themselves on a rusty nail. As they left and started back down the beach, Zena suddenly stopped. She announced she'd dropped something that had belonged to her grandmother and needed to get it. It'll only be a moment, she called, racing back up the steps. Entering the room with the closet, Zena could see her breath. It had reached arctic temperature and the smell had intensified. It reminded her of the rotting bodies of dead rats they sometimes found aboard the ship. Edging closer to the door, she could hear the distinct buzzing of flies. Trembling, she bent to pick up the discarded hanky and watched in terror as two impossibly long skeletal arms reached out of the closet and dragged her inside. One moment, she was in a cold, dark space. The next, gone. The rest of the group stayed on the beach chatting. After about five minutes, they heard a terrified scream. Without a second thought, they sprinted back to the lighthouse and into the room with the linen closet. Heather shone the flashlight on the floor where Zena's hanky remained, surrounded by pools of blood but there was no sign of Xena. They called her name, no answer. They split up, tearing through the building frantically. Damon noticed the door to the linen closet was shut when he was sure he'd left it open. This time, it was hard to budge, and it took two of them pulling it to release it. The back of the cupboard had been re up, and try as they might, they couldn't get the wooden panels off this time. In the end, they returned to the end, hoping Zena had somehow made her way back. But she hadn't. And she didn't return the following day or the next. In fact, she was never seen again. But the strangest thing was that no one ever returned to collect her. No record of the ship ever found. It was as if they all had just disappeared. Thank you so much, Taylor, for inspiring this urban legend tale for us. Listener, would you have run back for your new friend or would you have been too afraid? What do you think happened to Zina and her father for this urban legend in Yakina Bay?
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today, or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I
1: dot We can always hope that all of our friends will get along, but sometimes the combination is just too toxic to bear. Like in this story inspired by Jordan. When I was five years old, I lived in a really old house in Japan. I had this stuffed animal called Pico that I kept with me at all times. I think it was meant to be a bear, but it had been well-loved and much played with over the years, having belonged to my sister when she was my age, too. It was scruffy, but I loved it. I took Pico everywhere, whether it was in my small remote-controlled car, on trips to the store, or in my bed. Especially in my bed. I couldn't sleep without a cuddle from Pico. Then, on my sixth birthday, I received a new stuffed bear. Although it would never replace Pico, I was excited. I wanted them to be buddies. So that night, same as always, I slid under the covers, exhausted from a fun filled birthday. Since the house was so large with old, thick walls, my parents still used a baby monitor in case I called out to them in the night. I also had a small nightlight, so the room wasn't in total darkness. Both the monitor and nightlight were switched on and both Pico and the new nameless bear were in the bed with me. I quickly fell fast asleep. I woke up at midnight to a strange noise in my room. I was in that disoriented state you feel when you're ripped from a dream suddenly. I looked up and saw Pico no longer in the bed but sat upright in the chair in the corner of my room. I couldn't see the new bear at all. I crept over to grab Pico, and as I reached for it, I felt a stinging on my finger. I winced and pulled back, then realized I had a long piercing cut on my finger. I stuck it in my mouth, tasting blood. Undeterred, I got a hold of Pico more carefully this time and brought him back into the bed with me. Still unable to locate the new bear, but too tired to be truly concerned. I woke up in the morning again, suddenly, but this time, my parents shaking me. Pico was back in the corner of my room, and I was covered in many, many scratches. They weren't bleeding currently, but there was definitely blood on the sheets, which had frightened my mom when she'd come to check on me. While I didn't need to go to the emergency room, I definitely remember needing to get some kind of medical attention from the doctor's office. The doctor asked if we had a pet, which we did not. No one could account for what had caused the cuts. My parents were mystified and worried about what could have possibly happened. They hadn't heard a thing on the monitor and it was only activated by noise. There was no camera function to enable them to watch back the footage. However... Being just a little kid, I was most concerned by what had happened to the new teddy. You see, when my mom had stripped the bloodied sheets to wash them, she discovered the new bear underneath the wooden slats of the bed itself. It had been torn to pieces, arms and legs and head all removed, stuffing spewing out. It would have taken someone with a lot of strength to do that. Again... My parents exchanged puzzled looks, unable to conceive of how this could have occurred. And that was when I instinctively knew what had happened. Pico. He didn't want to share me. Didn't like me having a new toy. So he had destroyed it. Literally torn it apart. And I had been punished too. The cuts and scratches were a warning. Although... My most beloved toy now terrified me. I was even more frightened about what might happen if I didn't continue to favor him. Thankfully, nothing else ever did, although I had learned my lesson and never, ever cuddled with or slept with another soft toy. We moved from Japan to Hawaii when I was 13. Pico was packed up in a bin, along with other remaining items from my childhood. To my knowledge... He is still in the bin today. Still in storage, as I have not had the courage to retrieve it. But even now, at college, if I hear scratching on the window at night, part of me thinks I'm going to open the blinds and find Pico staring back at me. And boy, will he be mad. Thank you so much, Jordan, for inspiring this possessed toy tale for us. Have you ever had a toy or stuffed animal that felt more like a true companion? Did you think it might come a lie? Would that frighten or comfort you? When you let your anger get the better of you, You'll end up in a situation you are not prepared for. Then you will really have something to be upset about. Like in this story inspired by Maitreya. Aaliyah and Neva were sad when they had to move to Iowa for their dad's work. At 12 years old, they were just settling into middle school and had a good set of girlfriends. But as they arrived at their new home, Their mom looked so relieved that they knew they needed to try and make the most of things. As they started unloading the van, Aaliyah looked around the block. Right across the street was a tall house with a small window on the top floor. Curtains covered it, but Aaliyah saw the silhouette of a woman behind them. Then, she was gone. That evening, the family was having takeout in the den when there was a knock at the door. "'Girls, would you get that?' asked Mom. Opening the large wooden door, they saw an old man. His face contorted in rage. "'You should not have come,' he spat. "'Do not come near my house, or you will regret it.'" The girls were shocked, their parents quickly joining them. The old man was already gone, back across the road. Taking the girls back into the den, dad said he's probably getting forgetful just ignore him that night alia could not sleep the old man haunted her she parted the curtains looking out at the house across the street the same figure as earlier stood in the window on the top floor just watching the next morning the girls woke early Coming across their soccer ball, they ran out into the street and began to laugh and run about. However, Neva kicked the ball too hard, and it sailed across the street, bouncing against the old man's door before it came to a stop on his bottom step. The twins looked at each other. They had just started towards the ball when the door opened. The old man took the ball in his arms, then slammed the door closed. Their parents sighed when they told them, They said that he was just a mean old man. They would get another soccer ball. Don't worry. But the girls knew there was something odd about that old man. It happened again and again. The sisters accidentally threw something into their neighbor's yard and never saw it again. Then one day, the man took something special. They had gotten a remote-control helicopter for their 13th birthday. They loved it. But only the second time they took it out... Neva begged to use it when it was Aaliyah's turn. She refused and the girls quarreled, culminating in a struggle. The helicopter, steered by their arguing fingers, pushing buttons, flew over the street into their neighbor's yard and dropped right on his doorstep. They froze and watched silently as the man opened the door and grabbed it. The twins stared at each other for a moment and then their anger transferred to the old man. How dare he? They saw him leaving through the front door with a duffel bag and driving off. They planned, there and then, to break into the man's house at midnight and retrieve all of their stolen goods. That night, Neva pressed on a wiggly pane of glass in the window of the door, pushing it out and catching it before it hit the ground. She reached through the hole and unlocked the door. They crept through the house, thoroughly searching rooms. They froze when they heard a sound from upstairs. I think that's his wife, whispered Aaliyah. He has a wife? Hissed Neva. Yeah, I see her in the upstairs window sometimes. Keep searching. They continued to look through the rooms, making their way to the top floor. Finally, there was one room left and they still hadn't found the helicopter. We can't be seen, please, begged Aaliyah, but Neva had already pushed the door open. In the room, there was a small bed with a flowered comforter. In front of the dresser, facing out the window away from them, was a mannequin wearing a blonde wig. Just then, Neva's foot stepped on a loose floorboard. The mannequin's head snapped towards them. A screamed. The mannequin's wig fell off as it started to get out of the chair and crawl their way. The two sisters ran out into the hall towards the stairs. Neva looked back, expecting the thing to be right behind her. It wasn't. The hallway was empty. Then she looked up. The mannequin was crawling on the ceiling like a spider. Losing their footing... The twins tripped as the thing dropped from the ceiling in front of them. Its hand shot out, and it grabbed hold of Neva's arm, dragging her back down the hallway into the bedroom at lightning speed. Leah screamed and tried to chase them, but the door slammed shut in her face. No matter what, she couldn't get it to open, despite using her body to try to force it. She ran home and woke her parents. Her dad managed to break down the door, but there was no sign of her twin, or the mannequin. The old man was questioned, but in the end, he was believed to be innocent. Only Aaliyah knew the truth. Her family moved not long after that, and she was glad. It was too painful. On their last day there, she found a note on their door. No name, no signature, just six words. I tried to keep you away. Thank you so much, Maitreya, for inspiring this haunting tale. Would you have risked going into that house at night? Do you have any suspicious neighbors near you? Think maybe anything demonic or paranormal is happening? Tell us about it at snarl.com. You'll never know the horrors you're truly capable of until you're forced to unleash your inner beast. Lane and Alani were walking home late on New Year's Eve after a party. It was Lane's idea to take a shortcut through the woods, using the light of their cell phones to help see the way. The ground was icy and very slippery but Lane was stubborn and refused to admit the path was dangerous. They were about halfway through the thick trees when they heard a branch snap behind them. Hello? called out Lane, confident as ever. There was no reply, but there was another noise. Lane was about to ask again when out of nowhere, a figure appeared with a hatchet. It was a young teen in pigtails and a dirty blue school uniform. Suddenly, she screamed and swung the hatchet into Lane's head, killing her instantly. Olani tried to scream, but a hand clamped over her mouth from behind and she was knocked out cold. When she woke up, she was surrounded by shadowy figures. She stood up slowly, realizing she was still in the woods. Her head throbbed. Leaning against a tree for support, Olani noticed one of the figures was standing close arms folded across their chests and staring intently at her. It was a young woman, wearing a ripped mask over her nose and mouth and a white hoodie, which contrasted with her long black hair and fully black eyes. A pleasure to have some new blood. She motioned for Alani to follow her. Terrified of resisting, Alani obeyed. More of the figures had appeared. One wore a blue mask and hooded jacket with riotous brown hair. His eyes dripped with a black substance. Our new recruit is awake, he drowled. Let's take her to her new life. Alani whimpered as she was dragged into the circle of people. One wore a beige trench coat and a white mask. There was also the teen with pigtails wearing a filthy and now bloody blue school uniform. And another person with gray skin, no eyelids, no hair. Despite their odd appearances, it was the final being who caused her stomach to drop. He stood over eight feet tall with a face as blank as death. His limbs and torso were long and slender. The tall, thin man advanced and raised a hand. Alani was paralyzed. Suddenly, her eyes started to close, head still swimming. She fell to the ground, unconscious again. When she awoke in a darkened room, something was very different. She felt changed. Looking down, she saw she was now wearing black leather gloves, Her festive party dress was now a dark trench coat. She was wearing military fatigues and military-type boots. Most surprisingly of all, was a three-foot sword and a sheath at her waist. She drew the weapon and admired how the blue and silver blade caught the moonlight coming in through a window. And she was overcome with an urge to use it, to hurt someone, to kill someone. Alani turned to see the teen with pigtails. She handed over a mask and grinned. Alani examined it. It was grotesque, with overextended human features, overly big eyes, and a stretched smile of nasty-looking jagged teeth. Put on the mask, pigtails insisted. Join Slenderman's ranks. Unable to stop herself, As if unable to control her actions in a nightmare, Olani screamed as her hands acted on their own accord. Her scream cut off as her own hands pulled the mask over her face. All remaining thoughts about her past were wiped clean. All memories were replaced, and she felt the certainty of her new purpose. A surging strength and desire to kill. Pigtails watched her, her head cocked to the side like a bird. Now you will serve as an agent of slender men, obeying all that is instructed. Olani nodded, picking up her new weapon, the sword, watching as her colleagues, her new family, entered the room. She turned to look at herself in the mirror. Her eyes glowed in different colors, one amber, the other all black. Let's spill some blood, she said hollowly. She no longer remembered her past life, Olani was gone. Only serving Slenderman's will remained. She now lived for the thrill of purging those that did not follow him. The group exited the woods, heading for the festively decorated houses in the distance, towards the sounds of New Year's gatherings and other parties. Her new life as an agent of Slenderman had begun. This new year would belong to him and his now loyal minions. He controlled her now and she would kill or die for him. No questions asked. This week's podcast stories were edited by Markeia McCarty, Sarah Lukasiewicz, and Janine Pipe. Narration by Markia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markia McCarty. Executive producer, Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you'd like to support Something Scary and all the work we do, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. And if you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Until next time, my dark darlings... Sweet dreams.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that